Well, there's so much to be thankful for these days. You come to the year end, and, and I know there really isn't anything necessarily magical about year end, but um, I kind of take some survey of the past year and what's ahead, and uh, there's just so much good uh, going on. Uh, one of the things that uh, I was talking to Pastor Robert about this morning, I just rejoice over, is that um, even when we preach hard subjects, and we're going to preach hard subjects today. A couple of them are hell and divorce. You know, yeah. Pastor Robert, by the way, gave me that text. He set this sermon series up, and he gives me hell and divorce. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, yeah, preachers fudge things a little bit now and then. You probably need to know that about. But, um, but here's what's cool, is that we feel like we can preach what's there with the love and grace that God has behind these texts and not be afraid of reactions of our people. Our people want to hear the truth. And I'm really, really, really grateful uh, for that. So we're going to look at Mark chapter 9, uh, verse 38, um, today through chapter 10, verse 16. We're working our way through Mark. Lots here to learn. Um, we're kind of at the sort of the hairpin of Jesus' ministry. It started, I think, with, with Peter's confession uh, I think the book of Mark is aiming for that confession that this is really the Christ. This is what Mark is about. Jesus is the Christ. He's the Son of God. He's who he claims to be. And now um, he is going to fulfill the uniqueness of that call as Messiah uh, as he heads down toward Judea, actually, in our text today, moving toward Jerusalem to die for the sins of all humanity. So uh, this is a critical juncture and filled with critical questions and uh, and lots of things to hear, I think, for us. So let's pray that God would give us those eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. Father, we're really grateful for um, what you have uh, written for us. And we're really grateful for all that your scriptures tell us, instructions that we probably uh, definitely wouldn't come up with ourselves, God. It's, it's your divine word to us. And so let us, let us hear well today. Let us um, respond. Let us see Christ and the grace of him and uh, his sacrifice for us, even in light of sin and its consequences. And let us, um, God, have hearts that respond now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this morning, I, I have four points in, in our outline uh, that we'll just put up here real quick. We want to look at the broad scope of the kingdom of God in verses 38 to 41. That should be the seriousness of sin, although God's also very serious. But that's the serious of sin, seriousness of sin, 42 to 50. Uh, the sacredness of marriage, chapter 10, verses 1 to 12. And the example of simple trust in verses 13 to 16, which will be children. We read those this morning. So let's, let's begin by looking at the broad scope of the kingdom of God. You know, this is, this is an interesting uh, little set of verses. <clears throat> it says, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he was not following us. Ever felt that way? Not one of us out there on his own preaching Jesus. That's a bad thing, surely. But Jesus said, do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. So here's a group of people and they're casting out Jesus, casting out demons in Jesus' name. Don't, don't be casting out Jesus. He's a good thing. Cast out demons in Jesus' name. Um, and they're, they're not part of the disciples. They are not following with the disciples. But they are evidently believers in Jesus. 
Okay, so they're not one of us, but they're out there believing in Jesus. And the disciples try to stop them. They're not one of us, so we need to rebuke them. And then they tried to rebuke them. It, what's, what is, Pastor Robert pointed this out last week, last week, what's interesting is they were actually having success. They were legitimately casting out demons when previously the disciples couldn't cast them out at times when they tried. These people were having success in ministry and, and the disciples are trying to stop them because they're not one of us. And I, I think we see here that uh, Jesus is pointing out that the, the kingdom of God is broader than just what we see and is quite wider and more diverse than we probably ever really imagined. Uh, my experience growing up as a kid, I, I grew up in a very conservative Baptist church, and we were highly skeptical of anybody that wasn't Baptist. And uh, maybe you've been through that in, in that deno- kind of denomination or, or, or another denomination. I, mean, I think tends, we tend to be skeptical of, of everybody else. And then as a teenager, Billy Graham was coming to town and we were going to have a crusade and it was in the kingdom in Seattle in those days and, and he set the record for the most people ever to be in the kingdom in those days and now it's just been obliterated. And uh, <clears throat> 76,000 people showed up to hear Billy Graham preach and you know what? There were more than just Baptists there. I was so stunned. <laughs> People that actually love Jesus from a whole lot of different denominations and stripes and non-denominations, they loved him and believed in him and loved the gospel. And so I had to conclude <laughs> that uh, it wasn't just us that had the inner circle, right? And I think we, we know that, right? The, the, the kingdom of God is, is bright, broader than that. And, and since those days have served in other denominations and teamed with other people in other denominations that love Jesus, Jesus just as much as I do and am really, really grateful for it. Um, but the key here, what I don't want to miss here, is that these people were following Jesus. They're not just some adjunct group that's teaching anything they want. They're following Jesus. They're believing in Jesus. They're casting out in, in Jesus' name and... <clears throat> And they're serving his cause. And they, they might be serving it even in little ways. You know, this, this text points out that even somebody who gives a cup of cold water, just a little cup of water when you're thirsty because you belong to Christ, is actually serving me. See? And in fact, I think the best sign of people that are truly serving Jesus are ones that are doing things for him in little ways when no one else is watching. What our true heart is, is most revealed, I think, when nobody is watching, doing the littlest things. And these people were, uh, were casting out demons, but Jesus reminds them that even the person that just gives a cup of cold water in my name is serving me. Now, we need to be real careful here. We're not espousing people who do not, who do not glorify God as Jesus in human flesh, as God in human flesh. People that, uh, who, who deny who Jesus truly is, we're not espousing those people. We're talking about people who have true faith in Christ. Now, John 1.12 reminds us that those that are, are, are truly people of faith are people who believe in his name for who he is. Those are the ones who are saved. They, they believe for, in Jesus' name, all that he is. And so these were people that believed in, in Jesus' name. They were casting out in, in Jesus' name. And the Bible reminds us that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. So these are people that truly believe in Jesus. And, and those people can look lots different across lots of strains of denominations and things. But, but we're not talking about people outside of that. 
okay? There's all kinds of faith systems today that deny Christ and deny who he truly is. And we're not talking about those people. We're talking about people who truly believed in Jesus. But, but there are all kinds of people that pass that test. All kinds of people in all kinds of places that pass the test of believing in him and his name and trusting in him and what he has done for our salvation. And so I kind of picture Christianity as this big river. We lived along the Mississippi River for a while in our lives and it's this monster river. This big river that is mainstream historical Christianity. And then along this river come little tributaries and little streams that enter it from time to time that actually adjust the river's course a little bit but are equally a part of the river as it joins it. And so we have this huge historical river of Christianity, and then here along come in the 1900s charismatics. And they come along, and you know what? They teach us some things. We learn some things from them. We may not be people who subscribe to all their teachings and doctrine, but I love my charismatic friends who've taught me to be more expressive and more emotional in my worship. I'm thankful for them. And then along come people of very conservative and historical perspectives and do very traditional things that teach us symbolically things about Christ that we would not have seen. And they have a beautiful expression of faith. And and people who come with very careful theological minds that write carefully what the Bible says and they teach us things and we learn things from them. And then people who come become very relational and teach us how to love one another in Jesus and become very incarnational in their ministry. And all these people add to the great river of faith that we call Christianity and it is part of God's great and amazing design as he moves our faith forward through all kinds of different peoples. And that's what I think we see here. Keeping it center now, of course, that Christ is the Messiah, that he alone is the Savior of the world, and that he died for our sins. That's the message of the gospel, and that must be believed in order to be part of that kingdom. So, there's the broad scope of the kingdom of God. <clears throat> Let's talk now uh, about the, the seriousness of sin. This is verses 42 to 50. <clears throat> this text... Um, is one of the hardest in the book of Mark. Um, It speaks of sin. It speaks of it being deadly. In fact, um, our biggest problem that we face is our sin. We might have trouble with friends. We might have trouble in our work. We might have trouble with our families. We might have trouble with Satan. Satan. But those aren't our biggest problem. None of those can send us to hell. It is our sin, unrepented of, that makes our life miserable and unrepented of leaves us in danger of eternal damnation, this text will tell us. And so we take this subject really, really seriously. This is our our problem. It creates pain and consequences in our life. Now our sin does and unrepented of leads us to an eternal hell. And so what this text tells us is we've got to avoid this at all costs. And he starts by saying in verse 42, he says, whoever causes one of these little ones, and he's talking about all of us really as children of God, believers, to believe in me to sin, It would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the deep sea. Now, if you've ever seen ancient 
um, Middle East Palestinian millstones that grind olives and get olive oil. They're these monster, hundreds of pound round rock discs, stones. And if you put one of those hung around your neck, you're going to the bottom of the sea and you're going to drown. And in, in ancient Palestine, drowning was considered one of the way, worst ways to die. And Jesus said, it would really be better to have that happen to you than to lead one of your friends, your brothers or sisters, into sin. Oh my gosh, right? I mean, that, that is profound, strong language. Let's, let's not miss the strength of this language. We are to be so cautious. And, and I think this is why James says in James 3.1, you know, <laughs> don't just desire to be a teacher because if you're a teacher, you're going to be held to a double standard in the judgment. Because all that you teach people has a profound effect on their life. And if you're doing things for them as you teach them that mislead them and lead them into sin, you are in big trouble. See, when our kids were about 12 years old and we had raised them as young men to follow Christ and to love Him and to honor Him in the ways that they walked, some of the relatives in our family thought that we were too conservative for them. And so they sent them subscriptions to rather racy magazines to try to help them have a broader perspective of life, see. Of course, we said, that's a great idea. Just go ahead and read them through and just follow what they say, right? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. We have to be so careful what we do and what we say and how we lead our children guiding them in the seriousness of following Christ and knowing his love and grace and avoiding sin that can destroy them and, if unrepented of, land them in an eternal hell, which we will see here in a minute. It's a, it's a dangerous thing Jesus is talking about. And so, so Jesus is saying, now look, you've got to take really specific, really drastic action to deal with the sin in your life. Look at verse 43. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. That's pretty specific and drastic. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands and go into hell to the unquenchable fire. You know, this is why we preach verse by verse. Because Robert and I would never pick this verse to preach on Sunday morning. But we're glad to preach it. But here it is now, right? Here it is. And if your foot, verse 45, notice, notice that verse 44 was skipped. There's a little sidelight here. See that? Look at your, look at your If you've got an ESV version, there is no 44 there. You went from 43 to 45. Did they lose count? Okay. When the King James Version was written, the best manuscripts had verse 44 in it in the English translation. Now we have a lot more more ancient manuscripts that go date back older and older and older, closer and closer, and we found out as we got more ancient manuscripts that that verse wasn't in there. And so, the best translations today just eliminated. If you want to read it, go back to King James, you'll find verse 44 there. All right? So that, that our Bibles are so reliable today. This is a side note. Um, they're so reliable today because as we get more information, we make them better. They get better with time. They don't get worse, right? Don't believe those that tell you there's been all this time, so all kinds of errors and all kinds of mistakes have been made and we got an imperfect translation. Don't believe that. 
We know more today about the first century than the first century people knew. We know more about what we had then than now than we ever did. <laughs> this is a reliable book. And we're honest. And when a verse isn't there, we take it out. Isn't that pretty cool? So, you know, 44. <laughs> Gone. <laughs> Side note, I probably won't say that in second service. This is first service stuff, right? Okay. <clears throat> And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. Verse 46 gets skipped again because that was not found in the most ancient manuscripts. Verse 47. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and to be thrown into hell. Okay, now Jesus is using exaggeration. Okay, If you don't like the word exaggeration for Jesus, use the word hyperbole. It's a more official and kinder word for exaggeration. And, uh, but he's using a, a form of speech to make a point. And he's trying to make a big point. When you use exaggeration, you're trying to make a big point. Don't do this sin. <laughs> don't do it. It'd be better to gouge out an eye and cut off a hand and cut off a foot than, than do it. Because if you live an unrepentant rebellion against God, you will end up in unquenchable fire. Okay? I, I, look at it. If I had written this, this would not be here. I, I don't like this. Though I trust God and love Him and love His Word and love the truth. I, I just don't like the thought of hell. But it is here. Okay? So let's, let's deal with truth. This is what we do. We may not always like what it says, but we do, we'll deal with it because it's true. And so Jesus teaches us this. The word for hell is Gehenna, which is um, a picture out the south side of Jerusalem, of this garbage dump that was ever burning because it, in the ancient times, before the time of Christ, that, that's where they threw the, the dead bodies of the babies that were sacrificed to the false gods and, and where the garbage dump was and oftentimes human waste was thrown out there and it was an unquenchable fire of a garbage dump. That's, that's the picture here for hell, Gehenna. And it's the picture of the worst kind of suffering away from all love that is never ending and second thessalonians 1 9 says we're those who are are against god and are his enemies are cast out away from his presence for everlasting punishment in luke chapter 16 verse 19 to 31 um, the picture of um, lazarus and the rich man there is this chasm that is created between the two that can never be uh, jumped and so they are eternally in the place of, of hell by their own choice actually you know <laughs> c.s lewis says it this way that that hell is a a monument to free human choice it's their own choice to live in rebellion and not want god they don't want god and god says okay you get your way in the end have your way and a loving god says okay if you want to live that way you're you're you are you are there but also a loving God says, I'm going to create an eternal place of eternal bliss where we live in an eternal kingdom without sin and without pain and without suffering. And all evil will be done away and put away from that place. And aren't we glad that heaven is going to be a place of the righteous where people love one another perfectly for all eternity, where there is no murder, where there is no lying, where there is no deception. The guy down the hall isn't doing porn. It's a holy, justice, righteous place. Aren't we glad that that's the way it's going to be, see? 
That's what a good, loving God does. Evil is cast out. And God's righteous people are gathered. And so Jesus said, look, in light of all of that, you need to take some drastic action. Don't let that sin get you. Stay away from it. Cut out your, your hand. Pluck out your eye. So what that might that be saying is there are certain places you need to stay away from. There are certain people you need to stay away from. There are certain occupations and cities you need to stay away from. There are certain foods and, and places that you might get sucked in. You need to stay away from it. There are certain technologies you need to stay away from. Because if you give yourself to them, you might end up in unrepentant rebellion against God and you might find yourself in hell. That's the text. And nobody wants that, right? Jesus is mercifully, mercifully telling us, please, please, please do the serious hard thing of rooting sin out of your life. I might add here... um, you know, I, I think both Pastor Robert and I believe firmly that the, the, the greatest motivation to come to Christ is his love and his kindness and his mercy. And we preach that primarily. And even in this, we, we're going to see, I mean, God's call is to come from mercy and love and kindness that keeps us from these places. But there is a place, I think, for us to take warning. This is why Jesus teaches it. Heed the warning. Flee. Get out of that bad place of unrepentant sin. Don't linger there. You might get stuck there. See? God hates sin. And, you know, Psalm 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 are filled with verses that talk about this, where Psalm 2 says, verse 4, He who sits in the heavens and laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. And he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. He, he hates sin. Chapter 5 of Psalm, verse 4 and 5 says, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. That's strong language. But we, we shouldn't skip over these kinds of verses. We need to understand that God hates sin. And it says here he hates the sinner. Oh my gosh. Right? We might go, well, how can a loving God hate the sinner? Right? Well, you know, he does love the sinner. He does. He loves the sinner. But if you've ever been with a close friend that you loved dearly and they betrayed you and became your enemy, you might actually hate them too at the same time you love them. Right? See that picture? Right? If you've, if you've been in marriage and you've loved that person dearly and deeply and then they turn against you and become your enemy and do cruel and mean things to you, you might actually in the moment that you love them actually hate them also. Right? That's, uh, that's just part of really caring, is it not? That's a little bit what you have here, I think. And, and so, so God has this hatred for sin. But He loved us so much that He sent His Son to take that wrath, to absorb that wrath, to absorb that hatred towards sin. Poured it out on His Son. That's what the cross is. It's called propitiation. Atonement. Jesus pays the price for God's hatred of sin. Jesus dies on our behalf. And here's the good news of the gospel. When we accept that, what he did for us, 
then everything we get as believers in Jesus is nothing except for love and mercy from therefore forth. All we get, we don't get wrath anymore. Jesus took it. We get nothing but love and mercy, period, as people who believe in Jesus. Now, sometimes we may not feel that way, right? What's this coming at me this way? But God says even the hard things are His loving hand of discipline, Hebrews 12, 5 and 6, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to root out that foul stuff in us. And suffering can do that, can it not? But it's always love and mercy. Everything that comes our way is motivated entirely by love and mercy for those of us who believe in Jesus. See? It's the beauty of the gospel. But we must be reminded by this text that those who choose to stay in hardened sin against his commands are in danger of hellfire and his wrath. And if you read Romans chapter 1, and Romans 1.18, it says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And he says this is how it's revealed. He turns them loose to their own sinful ways. He lets them just have their fun, right? You rebel long enough, he pleads with you, come back, come back, come back. And finally he says, okay, here is my wrath expressed to you. Go have your way. And he turns them over to the lusts of their flesh and turns them over to their sin to have the way they desire and ultimately end up in hell. Have it your way. Go do your thing. Okay? Loving God, but but please hear this. God's arms are always out toward us to come to him. Come to me. And all of you who are thirsty, whoever wants forgiveness, come to me. But if you refuse and keep refusing and keep refusing, God says, okay, have your way. Go do your thing. Okay? Hard text, isn't it? Hard text. And we must say these things with love and compassion for ourselves and for those are our friends who are choosing to rebel. But it is the truth of the gospel. Okay, let's, let's move on to um, the sacredness of marriage. That was just a simple discussion on hell. Now we'll talk about a simple discussion on divorce. So. <laughs> we need to just laugh or breathe and laugh for one second. Then we'll go back in. <laughs> right? All right. <clears throat> so, um, Mark 10, verse 1 says, And he left there and went to a region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And the Pharisees came up, to, up in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, look, at he's moved south, and he's moved uh, across the Jordan to the east of the Jordan. This, by the way, is the region where John the Baptist got beheaded for a discussion about divorce and, and marriage and so on and faithfulness and marriage. Okay, so, so this is why they're testing Jesus. Okay, how are you going to answer this question? We saw one of your buddies get beheaded for this. Maybe we'll get you too, see? And so this is what they're doing. They're testing him. How are you going to handle this subject? Because there's no way, good way of answering this. You're going to lose your head, Jesus. Okay, that's what's going on here, you see? delicate subject, right? And by the way, I, I, having been a pastor now for 25 plus years, I, I, probably in the top five most hairy, angry moments that I've had with people was when I um, made a decision about what was appropriate in marriage, in terms of marriage, remarriage, slash should you even be married, 
and had violent reactions from people. This is a testy, testy subject. And uh, so they're trying to get Jesus here, and uh, it is truly a volatile issue. <clears throat> but Jesus is just going to speak to us the truth again, and that's all we got to do. Let's look at the truth. Let's hear it. Let's get it, and let's uh, embrace it, right? So Jesus wisely, as he always does, <laughs> he answers, well, well, what did Moses say? What do you think? Hmm? You guys believe in Moses? What did he command you to do? And, um, of course, they say, well, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. So um, it is correct. Jesus did allow that, or, or Moses allowed it, and so does Jesus. But he says, <clears throat> and Jesus said to them, but because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment as a concession. Okay? It's because of the sinfulness of men that we even have this command. It is okay to divorce there is a place and a setting for it, but it's not desirable. In fact, Malachi chapter 2 says that when we divorce our spouse, we do violence to them. It's actually a harsh thing. It's not a good thing, but sometimes divorce is the lesser of the two evils. Really, it's kind of the way I'd say it, probably. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes it needs to be done because of the hardness of the human heart. But Jesus goes on to point out, he says, but you're missing the point if you focus on that, because that, that kind of tends to be the question. Well, when can I divorce? And here's Jesus' answer. But from the beginning, creation, God made them male and female. Therefore a man, this is verse 6 and 7, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one fat flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. You're missing the point if you start asking about ways to escape and divorce. You're missing the point of marriage. It's to be oneness between two people, between a man and a woman, for as long as they live. And it's to be a blessing as if they're glued together as two blocks. And no one should ever separate them. There's the teaching, right? Now sometimes it gets so bad between people that the right thing to do is divorce, right? And some of you have experienced that. It's not the unpardonable sin, as it can be taught historically sometimes in churches, and, and sometimes it's the right thing to do. Some of you have been through such horrible things in your marriages that the right thing to do was divorce, and it's a very sad and hard thing. And, and so we should treat those things with mercy and grace, and that's what Jesus does here. One of the things that are given as... <clears throat> One of the reasons for divorce is in Matthew 19.9 where Jesus said for the case of adultery uh, a divorce is okay. Now, <clears throat> when we begin to look at exceptions, reasons that Jesus gives that it is okay to divorce, I, I, I want to be so cautious with that because even in the case of adultery uh, it might be easy for us to assume then, well, as soon as my spouse commits adultery or something like it, I'm done with them. And I think that's really bad advice and bad counsel and not what Jesus is saying, actually. I have seen some of the very, very, very best marriages come out of marriages that went through an affair and went through adultery and got to the other side and repented, ceased it, was broken over it, found out some of the reasons behind the adultery that caused it and got stronger and deeper and richer in their marriage and ended up with a better marriage than they ever would have had if they hadn't gone through the affair. Okay, that, that's the aim of this text, I think, is to say, let, but God, two people God has put together, don't let anybody separate them. 
Even in the case of adultery, the place you need to start was how do we see figure this out so that we can get faithful and be real and grow and be intimate and go on better than we had even before. That's what, that should be the aim. But in the case of serial adultery, is what I would call it, divorce is reasonable and probably even right, I would say. Another reason that's given for uh, divorce is desertion in 1 Corinthians 7, 15, where an unbelieving spouse chooses not to live with another. They choose not to abide with them. And Pastor Robert and I were having this conversation this week, and we kind of think this is actually a, a good way to define uh, appropriateness of divorce. When, when someone really chooses to not want to live with another and just feels that way and lives that way, for a long time and uh, in fact it can become very abusive and very harmful to a spouse and, and the right thing is, um, is divorce in those situations but once again I would say that should hardly be the first thing we turn to uh, in fact Jesus' teaching is that let's, let's make marriage work okay and let's aim for a healthy good marriage and every healthy good marriage goes through some of these hard things right most marriages have a moment where the spouse wants to desert the other Many marriages have moments where there is some sort of a, an adulterous kind of thing going on. That's, that's not uncommon. It's not, not always physical in, in, in that sense, but in, in a lot of other ways. And those marriages still need to be worked on to try to make them better. And sometimes this might take years to work through the painful, difficult things between you and your spouse. And all kinds of people that work through really hard things in their marriage, painful, hard things for years, sometimes five years, sometimes 10 years, sometimes 20 years, but they come out the other end of that in a so much better place that their marriage is together, they are one, they are blessed, and they are happy for having stuck it out for sometimes decades. And that ought to be the aim as we approach marriage. Okay? And let's remember that marriage is not really ultimately and finally about us. <clears throat> it's about God sanctifying us. And the difficulty of our spouse is the thing that oftentimes makes us more grown up. <laughs> and it is about the glory of God. That we are to love our spouse, Jesus said, as Christ loved the church. And he loved the church when we are our ugliest and our worst. And the way we are to love each other and the best way to love like Jesus is when your spouse is really badly misbehaving. Now you have a chance to love him like Jesus. So, hopefully you get the sense of the spirit of this text. <clears throat> All right. And then we go to sweet little children. Isn't that nice? We get to land in a happy little place here with, with children. And, uh, <clears throat> verses 13 to 16. <clears throat> the example now of, of simple trust that comes to us through children. And they were bringing children to him. Verse 13 that he might touch them and the disciples might rebuke and the disciples rebuked them but when Jesus saw it he was indignant and said to them let the children come to me do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven i love that heaven will be filled with children right for those of you who have lost a child somewhere along the line you, <laughs> that child will be in heaven and you will you will live with that little child the kingdom of heaven will be filled with little children i Beautiful, beautiful picture. I, I preach that every time I have a, a service of a child. Verse 15, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child shall not 
enter it. And so children become an example to us now in this text of how to have just simple trusting faith. They, they so easily just take our hand and walk in trust with us. Uh, they are an example of just simplicity and, and deep trust that we are encouraged to have. And band, you can come on up. Um, and I was thinking about, you know, in all of these things of life, whether it is in our battles with sin, as we've talked about, or even in our battles in our marriages, as we've talked about, what God wants us to do is, is just trust Him. Just hold on to His hand. It's hard, it's rough, it's foul out there at times, but, but trust in a good God who's doing good things in and through even the hardest situations. He is a God of redemption, which means He takes even our worst experiences and our worst things in our life and he turns them around and eventually brings us to heaven which makes heaven sweeter for having gone through all those things that's the ultimate triumph of god over all evil and that's the picture here that we have a god who says look i'm doing this good thing now will you just trust me just just take my hand and walk with me will you do that just rest the bible says maybe a a, a modern word for it is just relax it's okay god's got your spouse God's got you. His grace is sufficient to cover all your sin. Where, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. Just take a hold of Him and walk with Him. Our children were raised in small town Nebraska, which is a bit idyllic in some ways and difficult in others. But one thing that you learn in small town Nebraska is you, you, know, you basically can just walk out on the streets and not really worry about anybody. It's a pretty trustworthy place. And uh, it's probably not entirely perfectly true, but mostly true. And, and so our children would run about freely and, and uh, we wouldn't really worry about them because all the parents down the street were watching our kids just like we were and <laughs> they knew they couldn't get far. So, but once in a while, we'd take them to the city. And unfortunately, they had built into them all the small town patterns and habits. And in the big city, they would just want to be friends with every stranger and they'd go to corners of stores without us hardly even seeing, thinking everything was safe. And, and Mary and I would panic when we were talking about it last night. One, one time, uh, one of our children actually kind of got away from us, a store in a, in a big city, and, and there they were, and we didn't know where they were, and we were kept walking around looking for them. We thought they were lost. We Sure, they were kidnapped. And our son told us last night, oh, well, I kept seeing your feet walk by. I was fine. I was just resting in the goodness of the moment, reading something that I enjoyed in the, in the city. <laughs> oh, please. But that's the beautiful faith, the trust of children. Mom and dad are there. Everything's fine, right? I'm in the most dangerous place I could possibly be, but mom and dad are there and they're watching over me. That's what God asks of us. Just trust him. Even in the storm, even when it's dark, even when it's hard. Because the grace of God is sufficient for the day. He walks with us. The fellowship is even sweeter when it's hard, when you get to walk with Jesus in through it. Keeping our eyes on him. Our good and gracious God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, oh my gosh, what a text. And uh, thank you for all you teach us through your word. And I pray we will be people who receive it well. That you will help us to obey you in the hard things. To take seriously the attack of the enemy and, and the sin within us. But even more important than that, to land in this place where this text lands. To be people of deep and precious trust in you as a father who will never leave us or forsake us and holds our hand in and through all of life. So we give ourselves to you this day. Strengthen our faith. Thank you for Christ who died for our sin. We have nothing to fear in him. And we pray in his name. 
Amen.